Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Our topic today is arm's length transactions, and our sponsor is Nordstrat Incorporated. Do you have experience as a contracting officer for an intelligence community agency like the National Reconnaissance Office? Do you have experience as a contracts manager for a government contractor, including proposal development and pricing strategies? Nordstrat is looking for you. Nordstrat Incorporated is a small, agile, and growing government contractor headquartered in Dulles, Virginia. Nordstrat is looking for an experienced contracts manager to help shape the future of the company. You will establish, organize, and manage the corporate contracting office while ensuring FAR and DFAR's compliance. Nordstrat offers outstanding benefits, employee stock ownership, and many other great perks. Nordstrat has a small company culture and takes a personal interest in every employee. If you or a friend would like to be part of a dynamic, growing company where you will directly affect the success of the organization, email your resume to recruiting at northstrat.com. That's N-O-R-T-H-S-T-R-A-T dot com. Northstrat is an equal opportunity employer. You must be a U.S. citizen and able to obtain and maintain a security clearance. Okay, let's get started with arm's length transactions. We talk a lot on the podcast about how different government contracts can be from private sector, from regular commercial industry contracts. We do. And one of the concepts that exists in both government and industry, but is applied really differently or can be applied very differently in the government market is this concept of the arm's length transaction. Because the government often has cost-type contracts where they're reimbursing actual costs and dive deeply into what those actual costs are, it takes on a different meaning in the government world. All right, before we get deeper into that, let's stop and say thanks. I'll say thanks to Michelle Peterson. A, she's a contracting officer at Air Force District in Washington, Air Force District of Washington, I think it's called. And she posts on LinkedIn and Facebook that she uses the contracting officer podcast as part of studying for CO warrant. And so she got her warrant in November of 2017. And so connecting those two dots and knowing that our content is helping people pass their warrant boards, pretty cool. That is really cool. I, that, that is something we never contemplated when we started doing the podcast. So thanks, Michelle. And if you're curious about what a warrant is, there's a what is a contracting officer episode early on that explains it. It's episode seven, 007, actually. All right, let's get into the topic today. What is an arm's length transaction? The book answer is it's a, it's a real estate concept. An arm's length transaction is one where the parties in kind of reading through this, where the parties involved in the contract have no relationship to each other that would otherwise influence their decision during the purchase or sale of a property. A simple example of something that's not an arm's length transaction is the sale of a real piece of real property from parents to children. And the parents give them a deal on the price and and set it below market value. So that might be considered a gift by the IRS, et cetera. So that, that's not arm's length because the relationship between them is influencing how the transaction happens and, in this case, the price. And why does the government care about that in a commercial transaction? Because there could be capital gains taxes that the government is owed if the property was sold at market price because they're selling it below market price to their children. There's no capital gains, therefore no taxes are paid, and the government cares because they want their tax money. So to be arm's length – That transaction has to be kept separate from the personal relationship between the parents and children. An arm's length transaction actually avoids the appearance of a conflict of interest, and it keeps the relationship business-like. So it doesn't bring the personal pieces in. 
So it's pretty easy to appraise the property and find out whether it was really sold for the going market rate or not. Now, there might be a couple dollars one way or the other. You never get it exact, but it's easy to track what market price really should be. So arm's length means neither party should have an interest in the consequence of the transaction to the other party. That's what arm's length actually means. Let's talk about some examples of how this might apply differently to the government world. Because in the government world, you may have a cost-type contract where the government is paying the actual cost incurred by the contractor. So a lack of an arm's-length transaction may not impact the prime contract that much, but a subcontract or a product that's included in that cost may have an inflated price due to a lack of an arm's-length relationship, which provides a benefit to the, to the prime contractor due to that lack of the arm's length. So a couple examples here. Let's just say your cousin has a company that sells refrigerant for air conditioners. You have a contract with the government to service the air conditioners at some government site. So your cousin charges you triple the usual price for that refrigerant, and you pass those costs on to the government as a legitimate cost. It's documented that you paid it. Hey, here's the invoice where I paid this subcontractor for refrigerant, but you're overpaying because it's not arm's length because you both benefit through, through your personal relationship from this transaction. <laughs> the far yeah. starts to unpack it. Maybe your cousin's giving you a kickback. Maybe you're just helping out your nephews and nieces that, you know, your cousin's kids by making his company a lot more money. Another case where this could happen, and I'm sure has happened because there's rules against this kind of thing. Say the owners of, the, of a company are also partners in a commercial real estate investment firm. The company leases their office space or manufacturing space from a building that the commercial real estate investment firm owns. That, that alone by itself is not a bad thing. Yeah. You can own a building and then your company can lease it from you. That, that happens all the time. But what if the firm charges a higher than market rate for the leased space? Well, that cost becomes part of the indirect cost that's passed on to the government through the, the government contracting company's contracts. So the owners don't necessarily make more money. The owners of the company that have the contract with the government don't necessarily make more money on their government contract, but they are enriched through the real estate investment, which is reaping a higher than market rate. And that's not good. Shell game. This is, this is the stuff that forensic accountants live for, right? Let's make sure we link this to the FAR. The phrase arm's length it actually appears five times in the FAR. I honestly didn't think I'd find it. <laughs> it was kind of cool. <laughs> Mostly in cost negotiations that we talked about. Uh, notably, one of them is FAR 49.606. And this is FAR Part 49 is terminations. We have a podcast on that. And this is about gr granting subcontract settlement authorization. So this is like a letter that the contracting officer writes says, yes, this is these are all allowable costs under uh, – closing out a subcontract. So paragraph C6 is where the CO authorizes settlement from the subcontract. And it says, this authorization does not apply if a subcontractor or supplier is affiliated with you. For this purpose, you should consider a contractor to be affiliated with you if you are under common control or if there is any common interest between you, okay, so in other words, you have a relationship, by reason or stock ownership or otherwise, that is sufficient to create, you like this, a reasonable doubt that the bargaining between you is completely at arm's length. In other words, if there's a relationship between you and your sub, 
I'm authorizing you to do this. However, what you're agreeing to is that there is no inappropriate relationship within you and your son. Right. And so this is one of those letters that buried in FAR Part 49 that specifically calls yep. this out. So if your sub is your cousin's company, could create a reasonable doubt that there's arm's length bargaining, right? Yeah, you're paying three times as much for AC refrigerant. So when does this apply? Let's talk time zones here. In the acquisition time zones, it's most likely in the RFP zone where you're putting together your pricing for a bid. On the execution time zone side, this is during performance. This is all throughout performance. It could be because the pricing and the bid set up a situation that creates a lack of arm's length, or it could be during an engineering change proposal where new work is added, or it could be where you have replaced a subcontractor or supplier that was in your proposal with one that does not maintain an arm's length from you. And one more area I just thought of is in the, the wrap-up zone, specifically contract closeout. When you're trying to close out these contracts, if they find these kind of loopholes, if the auditors go back and find these kind of loopholes, it's, it could get really messy really fast. Why is this so important? We're talking about conflicts of interest, and these are bad things. We talked about inappropriate gifts and gratuities between industry and government employees. This is another case where a conflict of interest could cause problems. And yeah, this could be a personal conflict of interest because you're related to the person who's the supplier. It could be an organizational conflict of interest, but that's really what this is focused on. Right. So it's not just your cousin's firm, but it could be if there's a family of com companies that all have common ownership. It could just mean a conflict between two subsidiaries of the same corporation. Let's run through a couple other situations where the FAR calls out arm's length transactions. One of them is in FAR 52-222-41. This is a service contract labor standards. It's really talking about collective bargaining and wage determinations. So in collective bargaining agreements, the Department of Labor, the Secretary of Labor, is going to look to make sure that there were arm's length negotiations when it comes to wages and fringe benefits. You'll also find arm's length transactions in part 31.2. This is contracts with commercial organizations. And what it's talking about is cost reasonableness. So 31201-3, cost reasonableness. 31201-3A says a cost is reasonable if, in its nature and amount, it does not exceed that which would be incurred by a prudent person in the conduct of competitive business. So prudent and competitive does not sound like a lack of arm's length, right? There it doesn't sound like there's any collusion or anything going on. But 31203-3B says what is reasonable depends on a variety of conditions. And some of those conditions are generally accepted sound business practice and arm's length bargaining. So the whole arm's length thing is tied into determining cost reasonableness. If the government feels that there was not arm's length bargaining... They can't determine that your costs are reasonable. And the context here might be that because this particular cost wasn't exposed to competition, that they don't have any other metric. Right. They have to have some kind of confidence or evidence that it's an arm's length negotiation. That, that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. Because, yeah, if it's exposed to competition, you're still going to do reasonableness. But it's easier to get reasonable when you've got five offers and they're all in the same price range. Right. When they're not, then you get into this. So if you own – the building that your company leases, you can understand how the government might think that it wasn't competitive, that the pricing of the lease space wasn't competitive. So you, you probably will need to be able to prove that you're paying yourself the going market rate. That's a 
It's a great example because you're, you're not going to say, oh, well, the building next door is cheaper, so we're going to go there even though they own this one. Right. <laughs> That's how it works. So we're talking cost reasonableness. This is very linked to cost accounting. And way deep in the FAR, there's the cost accounting preambles and regulations. So this is the number is 9904.404.50, techniques for application of a specific cost accounting principle. For this one, you dug into the catacombs of the FAR to pull this one off. Yeah, I can't say I've spent a lot of time reading this. So when we're talking cost accounting, the, the, the long number that I just read, it says the cost to acquire a tangible capital asset includes the purchase price of the asset and the cost necessary to prepare the asset for use. And then C says in circumstances where the acquisition by purchase or donation of a capital asset is not an arm's length transaction, the acquisition cost shall be limited to the the cost of the owner who last acquired the asset through an arm's length transaction. So if you think about it, what they're trying to protect against here is you inflating or decreasing the cost of a capital asset as you transfer it to another company in a way that's beneficial to the company and not beneficial to the government. What they do to determine the actual cost of the asset is they skip the non-arm's length transaction and go back to the last fair deal to say, this is the actual cost of it. It's like a Florida condo that sold for half a million, half a million, 600,000, 400,000. Wait a minute, what? Skip that one. And they keep going 600,000, 700,000. Right. And I've seen that. I've seen that, you know, researching uh, roles of, of properties. That's funny. It's in the far. Good job finding that. Yeah, I certainly don't want to try to get deep into cost accounting because I'm over my head already. <laughs> All right. We've set up why the government cares about this. Yeah, as a CO, I need to be objective. I need to understand the, the context. And, and arm's length is a concept that helps me understand, is this a fair deal? And the example of the parents selling their property to, to their kids at a discount, I need to know that that's not happening because it means I'm not getting a reasonable price. The problem is the length of the arm, it's subjective. It's the thinking part of the job. How long is, is long enough? All right. So subcontracting with your cousin's company for the refrigerant, that might not sound like an arm's length transaction. But what if it's your cousin's friend's company that's selling the refrigerant? Eh, maybe. What if it's your fraternity brother from college? What if it's their company? Is that arm's length? Maybe, maybe not. What if it's your high school buddy? You know, how, how far do you go? That's what I think you're trying to say there. An appearance of a conflict of interest, it's easy to see if it's your brother or your cousin. You go a couple degrees farther outside of that, might not appear to be a conflict. Could be an even bigger conflict if it's your fraternity brother. But that's where... The contracting officer has to use their brain and dig into things to make sure that it is an arm's length transaction if it appears that it could not be or that it might not be. Being able to find a reasonable price at the end of the process, that's the goal, is to make sure that it, this, this price is legitimate. And maybe the subcontractor is somehow related to the prime contractor, but if the price is reasonable... Right, you well, may be able to prove that the price is reasonable through other means, like we're talking about. What is the going market rate for for a leased space? Also remember, you can always look in FAR Part 3, where it talks about improper business practices and personal conflicts of interest, and FAR 9.5, which is organizational conflicts of interest. I think we have episodes on both. Right. <laughs> we have a lot of episodes now. On the industry side, remember that something that might be perfectly fine in the commercial world may get additional scrutiny when you enter the government market. So let's say you're a 
you have a bakery and you bake bread and you always buy your flour from your cousin's company. That's always a cousin here. <laughs> it's always the cousin, yeah. That's perfectly fine that you've chosen to buy your flour from this supplier that happens to be your cousin. If you want to overpay your cousin for that flour and therefore your costs are higher, the IRS might be okay with that because your cousin is paying taxes on that income. So they're getting their taxes one way or another. But when you move to the government market, that's where it could become a problem. If you're inflating the price unnaturally on your government contract, you're probably in violation of the arm's length transaction rules that we've been talking about. So I think I'm pretty close to summing it up right there. Yeah, just remember that under the 80-20 rule, there's a process behind a lot of this stuff. And if it's something that happens as a better a matter of business on the commercial side, it might not be legal or it may just be a harder path <laughs> to take on the government side. And and you, if, when you don't know what you don't know, you end up stepping in traps like this. And, I mean, it's not a trap. It's a it's but like you said before, somebody's done this, which is why they have rules about it now. Right. The accounting rules that apply in the commercial world are designed so that in some way taxes are paid properly. You have those rules and then more when you get to the government acquisition world where a fair and reasonable cost is required. So we've we've been talking a lot about the number of different episodes we have. And I wanted to let people know that we have what we call the content directory. It's an Excel spreadsheet that has all the podcasts that are with hyperlinks for them. So if you'd like me to email it to you, just email me at kevin at skywayacquisition.com and I'll send it to you. So that way you don't have to search through iTunes or whatever thing you use to find the content. You literally can scroll through there, click on it, and it'll take you right to the episode. But our customers use it, and I figured, you know what, I can let other people use it too. So, And someday we'll actually be able to invest in a in a web-based tool that, that lets you do this all by yourself without using the spreadsheet. But that someday is not quite yet. We're, we're getting there. One, <laughs> one, one podcast day at a time. All right. I'll talk to you on the next podcast day, Kevin. I'll see you, Paul. That's it for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or complaints, send me a note at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com or join us in the Government Contracting Network group on Facebook. See you next week. You went super dig yeah. into the car this time. Right. Did you say super dig? I did. I'll say it again. <laughs> you went, you went, here we go. I got better with it. <laughs> Sorry. Just a sleeve. I have a really bizarre image of you digging through the car. Um, there we go. Yeah, you dug really deep into the bowels. No, I like that word. I like that word. <laughs> bowels. What's the, what's the um, archives? There it is. No, that's. What's the word for like the like the dusty back side of the of the library? Catacombs? <laughs> that you that might be okay. Okay. <laughs> nope. Here we go.